All right, uh, back on the Young Turks. I got a great guest in the studio for you guys. Joining me now is Harvey Wasserman. He is a host of California Solartopia. Can you guess which topic that's on? <laughs> it's on KPFK here in Los Angeles. He's also got a book, Solartopia. Right. Uh, Harvey, welcome to the Young Turks. Great to be here. Really All right, good. great to have you, brother. Uh, so. I want to start by talking about Diablo Canyon. Sure. Uh, so for folks who are unaware of it, what is it? It's the two nuclear reactors up in San Luis Obispo, uh, surrounded by a dozen earthquake faults 45 miles from the San Andreas, which is half the distance that Fukushima was from the earthquake fault that destroyed it. And being here in Los Angeles, we are very nervous about these two reactors. I was among the 10,000 people arrested there back in, 19, in the 1980s, and we're fighting to get it shut down. We've asked Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, and to inspect this thing, you know, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission does the inspections. That's like having Donald Trump read the Mueller report. I mean, it's just a waste of time. We want independent inspections there. And these two reactors, if they blow up, you know, LA is 10 million people, we're, we're toast. So back when they put the nuclear reactor there, did they know they were so close to the fault lines? Some, but not as many. If you look down at the earthquake fault lines at Diablo Canyon, it's like shattered glass. I mean, there's like a dozen of them. It's a place that you just don't want to be when there's an earthquake. And, they, and these two reactors are old, like all the reactors. You know, there's 98 reactors in the United States, nuclear power plants. They are, except for one, they're all more than 20 years old. A lot of them are more than 40 years old. Are you driving a 40-year-old car? I mean, these things are just really, really dangerous, and they got to be shut down. And as I say in Solartopia, we've got so, we have a big the big four is solar, wind, battery storage, and increased efficiency or LED. With those four horsemen of the apocalypse, there we can uh, uh, get totally green powered. We could ironically avoid the apocalypse. Then. Exactly, <laughs> they're four horsewomen of the anti-apocalypse. That's right. There you go. <laughs> uh, so I want to keep talking about the, the nuclear plant, though. So some will say. Yes, but it's better than fossil fuels. No, 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 they're all bad. We gotta get rid of all of them. You know, nuclear plants put tremendous amounts of waste heat into the environment, 90 million gallons of hot water at Diablo Canyon. One of the two reactors goes into the ocean every, every day and they kill all the marine life, they kill the, the marine ecosystem, it's a disaster. And I gotta tell you, you know, they like to say that radiation's good for you. Ann Coulter has actually said radiation is good for you. So Really, yeah. Ann Coulter being wrong. <laughs> That's, yeah, a first well, she's for imaginative, let's put it that way. Right. So um, uh, I went in 1980 into central Pennsylvania in the year after the accident. Now this is the 40th anniversary this week of the disaster at Three Mile Island. And I interviewed people and it was the worst week of my life. It was like being in a Japanese science fiction movie. It was horrible. People were cancer, leukemia, birth defects, metallic taste, hair falling out. I actually held a dog. I was across in Middletown from the plant. I could see the plant. I held a dog, a black cocker spaniel that had born with no eyes. I mean, you know, come on. So, so what went wrong in Three Mile Island? Uh, the, the, it's a nuclear power plant. That's what went wrong. I mean, a million things can go wrong with a nuclear power plant. And we have 450 of them worldwide. They are causing global warming. They, we're in the midst of a tremendous uh, transition in, in terms of technology. Solar and wind have exceeded expectations, as has battery storage and LED lighting. I mean, LED lighting has just taken over. It's amazing. These four technologies are going to supplant all the fossil fuels, all the nuclear power, what I call King Kong, coal, oil, nukes, and gas. They're done. Now, it's a huge transition because fossil and nuclear involve many, many, many billions of dollars, and the industry doesn't want to let go. 
But the reality is there's more people working in solar in California alone than there are digging coal in the whole United States. I mean, that's how big this industry has gotten. Uh, coal jobs are down to 53,000, even though Donald Trump said he was going to protect them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so how many? Uh, uh, 65. 65,000 people in California alone that work in solar? Yeah, and another 10 or 15 in wind. And how many uh, people working in solar in the country? I don't know. It's a quarter million. Wow. 250,000. So five times the size of the coal industry. Yes. For and, in, and, as and, far as jobs are concerned. And it's going straight up. I mean, you know, the, the learning curve on renewables has been spectacular. You know, it's almost science fiction how fast renewables have come on. And the nuclear is the opposite. It's just, it gets more expensive every day. In fact, last week, Trump signed a $3.7 billion no interest loan for the last two reactors in the United States being built in Georgia. There's only two left. Obama gave him 8.3. So they already got $13 billion in, or $12 billion in federal loans. The thing's going to cost close to $30 billion. It'll never go online. It's already uh, can't, can't compete with renewables. What are we waiting for? So uh, Obama wasn't great on this, was he? I mean, no. he, he did all the above strategy. What do you call that it? That was a punt. You know, all he had to do was say, well, he could have done the Green New Deal. In fact, the stimulus package was kind of a precursor to the Green New Deal. But the Green New Deal, if, if, it, if I presume that it's going to take us to 100% renewables, that's the future. What was wrong with the old New Deal? That was a great success. The Green New Deal is just the update of what Franklin and Eleanor did in the 1930s. And uh, it, it, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, that's that, where the jobs are. And that's not an accident. That's why they called it the Green New Deal. Right? Yes, exactly. And, it, and they're right. And uh, that's, what it, that's what needs to happen. It will create the jobs and it will get us, not, not only directly, it creates direct jobs, of course, with solar and wind and all that stuff, but indirectly by lowering energy costs. Germany is going 100% green. Their last nuclear plants will shut in 2022. And, uh, and they have whole areas of Germany now that are completely on solar. Totally. So uh, the nuclear plants, uh, are they all private? And uh, so I, I don't know about this. You're yes, the they're owned by what we call investor-owned utilities or IOUs. Uh -huh. uh, Tennessee Valley Authority does have, and uh, Bonneville Power Authority has one. But, you know, it's basically, um, and, and, and that, that situation has resulted here in California, Pacific Gas and Electric, which runs the two at Diablo Canyon, is bankrupt. And then mm -hmm. First Energy in Ohio, which runs two on Lake Area, they're also bankrupt. So what happens when a private company running a nuclear facility goes bankrupt? Do they go like, ah, good luck with it? No, they go to the legislature <laughs> and they get bailed out. And these guys are making a million dollars a year running, 10, 10 million dollars a year running these plants. And they're, they're fools. I mean, they, they should not. The last thing on earth you want is a bankrupt utility running a nuclear plant. Uh, Harvey, it's almost like they're privatizing the gains and socializing the losses. Oh, yeah, that's it. That's the, <laughs> that's the game here in America. We, we are a socialist country. It's socialism for the rich. The rest of it get, get, to, get to compete. But yeah. the guys at the top, if you look at what happened in 2007 and 8 with the big crash, those guys, nobody went to jail, nobody lost their money. Yeah, you can't walk out of a nuclear facility and go, eh, that's your problem, right? Because, uh, <laughs> they do. because it is our problem. It is our problem. We can't just leave it alone. Uh, and so we have to find a way to, to decommission it, uh, I uh, suppose. It's a nightmare. It's billions of dollars. And, and you know, we're doing it. We shut their two reactors at San Onofre, south of LA. The, the decommissioning is a disaster. It's a nightmare. And everywhere, they don't, they don't have the technology, they don't have the money. And do the companies that made all the profits for all those years then pay for the decomm decommissioning? Right. <laughs> I mean, I mean, is that the amazing? Question, the question answers itself. Right. You know? No, no, they took home all the profits. No, the yes. costs are on us again. Exactly. And so, also the liability. In 1957, the, the feds passed something called the Price-Anderson Act. 
because none of the private utilities would invest in nuclear because they're afraid of a big disaster. So the Fed said, the Congress said, we'll give you 15 years. And in this 15-year period, if there's a major disaster, the, the, the taxpayers will cover it. And But by 15 years, you'll have private insurance. Well, guess what? It hasn't happened. That was 1957. We're talking 62 years ago. And uh, there's still nobody who will privately insure a nuclear power plant. If you can't get insurance for something, there's some chance that it's too risky. <laughs> you and might say that. that yes. That's right. Yeah. Because you, you guys know how insurance works. It's they make a profit by selling you insurance. Right. And and but they won't sell it to you if they think, no, I can't make a profit on this. It's just too risky, and and it'll right. cost too much. So when private insurance doesn't do it, it doesn't mean that. No one's ever going to pay the cost. No, we no, pay the cost. No, we pay the cost. That's, That's right. right. They're indemnified. There's a little bit of fund. There's a $12 billion fund that was put into by all the nuclear utilities. So God forbid if, um, if Diablo Canyon blows and the cloud comes to L.A. and does $3 trillion in damage and kills another 10, 15 million people, uh, that $12 billion is all there is. Everybody else is on their own. That's it. So can we get folks who want to start nuclear power plants, not that that's likely to happen anymore, but people who run them, et cetera, can we get them to sign agreements saying, hey, if you guys go bankrupt or something goes wrong, an accident, instead of the US, the US government eventually is gonna to have to cover most of the tab, but first we're gonna take every single thing you've ever owned. Okay, that for all fair. the executives, all yes. the executives who've ever right. worked here and made a profit, we will take your house, we'll take all your cars. Right. Because you got to pay first. You're the ones who got the profits. Right. And we could drive them off under a bridge here in LA. They'll have a lot of company. Right. So, you know, it's, it's obscene. It's really obscene. And you've got people running around saying nuclear is an answer to global warming. It's a, a cause of global warming. They pour all this hot water and steam into the environment. They stand in the way of renewables. They're supping up all our, our, our money. They're uh, irradiating people nearby. You know, when a nuclear plant opens, Hopefully no more will, but when a nuclear plant opens, the infant death rate in the area goes up. And when they close, and there are a lot of them closing, the infant death rate goes down. Very clear. So Harvey, one, one more thing uh, before uh, we gotta wrap up. Uh, so for Diablo Canyon, what do you want to happen? Can the governor, governor take action? How, how do we yes. close it down? And then what, what's the process of closing it down? Because they're in bankruptcy, and also you'll love this, um, uh, a PG&E, is a, is a federal criminal. They were convicted of crimes in 2010. They, they blew up a, a neighborhood in San Bruno by not maintaining their pipes. It Can burned. I just uh, pause there for a second? So uh, that, no wonder they're bankrupt because uh, Mitt Romney tells me that corporations are people, my friend. <laughs> and so they must be doing a right. hard time in a federal penitentiary. Well, I'm against the death penalty in general, but for corporations, I think, I think we got a case. Right. They burned down so much of Northern California, they burned down 12 thousand structures. They killed 80 people. They're facing $10 billion in lawsuits. And in 2010, they burned down a neighborhood in San Bruno. They killed eight people because they didn't maintain their gas lines. How much confidence does that give us for them to run two nuclear plants uh, upwind of, uh, of LA? It's a nightmare. So uh, yes, the governor of California can intervene because they're in bankruptcy and because they're in federal, under federal probation. We want those reactors inspected by someone other than the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. And we want, we want the results to be made public. We want public hearings. And they want the CPUC to deny them the money that they need to operate those reactors because they need to shut. And, that, and, that, and until they're shut, I won't sleep at night. I have children and grandchildren in this town, and, you know, it's my duty to protect them. So um, uh, that's what we're going to do, Cenk. And, and, you know, we need people to plug into this. We had a great petition signed 
by the way. You'll be glad to know that um, Mimi Kennedy, Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, Martin Sheen, Eric Roberts, Graham Nash, you know, um, uh, Francis Fisher, Jody Evans, a tremendous crew signed on to our petition asking the governor to do this. And so you can sign on too. And well, um, you've we, got a lot of the friends of the show on that list, so yes. God bless. All right, guys. Uh, so, is there anything that people can, can they find the petition and sign? Yes, it? come to solartopia.org is is where I am, and I'm I'm actually going to have a history of the United States up there in a couple of weeks, so you can look at that one too. But solartopia.org is where this resides. Contact me directly, and and I'll be glad to uh, help anybody with this. Yeah, and, and I have my own proposal. So, if you're uh, an executive at one of these energy companies, and an accident happens, an accident because of your recklessness. Uh, and people die, you should go to prison. Uh, Absolutely. San Quentin. Absolutely. Now people will say, well, no, but I mean, they'd have to be so careful. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Because right. when you're playing with other people's lives, it's easy. When it's your life that might be on the line, all of a sudden you got to be careful. Exactly. Right? And it's not even their money on the line. Yeah. Because they're, they're protected by bankruptcy and all this other stuff. We've got to shut these reactors, Cenk. It's, it's, uh, uh, it's the most dangerous thing on the, on the earth today is these 450 were wild, 98 in the, in the United States. We sh- shut them all down and we'll be much better off. All right. Harvey Wasserman, uh, everybody check out Solartopia. Thank you for joining us. Thank Appreciate you, man. It. Thanks for having me. All right. No problem. We'll be right back, guys. All right, back on the Young Turks. Just read a couple of tweets here. They, uh, I think they could apply just as well to the Purdue story as the nuclear energy story we just did. Uh, I'm a Derby Panda on Twitter, writes in capitalistic medicine, create the crisis to sell you the solution, uh, which unfortunately applies very well to the Purdue case. And Gamer Dave uh, 69 writes in, our corporate class are vampires. Uh, this is epic supervillain level evil. Uh, so uh, communicate to us throughout the show if you're a member in the member section. Uh, and uh, uh, on Twitter at hashtag TYT Live. You could, of course, also use YouTube Super Chat. All right, let's go to our next guest. Join, joining me now is Stephanie Rose Spaulding. Uh, she's joining us again. We talked to her during the 2018 election cycle. Uh, and she's not done yet, rolling up her sleeves and getting back into the fight. Uh, Stephanie, welcome back to the Young Turks. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, no problem. So, uh, first of all, uh, let's talk about who you're running against, uh, and then we will go back and talk about what happened last time around. Uh, what's the race that you're entering? We are getting ready to retire Cory Gardner. Mm. So that is a Republican senator from Colorado, and uh, he is perhaps the single most vulnerable Republican senator in the country. So uh, this election is eminently winnable. Is that correct? That is correct. <laughs> he is so horrible, and that's to our benefit as Democrats. So, Stephanie, uh, why does uh, everybody believe that this is the most vulnerable seat in the country for the Republicans? Uh, what What is it about Colorado and, and Cory Gardner that makes uh, this such a um, potential pickup for the Democrats? Well, one, Colorado, as we saw in the last election cycle, is really the heart of purple politics. But it's also moving more so to being blue and steadily blue. We were able to sweep the state when it comes to statewide races. The governorship, the House, and the Colorado Senate all went blue. We also then took Attorney General's office, the treasurer, the 
Secretary of State. All of it went blue. And that's a reality of the changing demographics and even the political tenor of what's happening here in Colorado. When we think about Cory Gardner and his seat, one, it's been a flippable seat in the past. So it has gone both to Republicans and to Democrats. It is reflective of the state where Hillary Clinton still won in the previous election cycle. It also is reflective of his inability to lead, his flip-flopping as a moderate, quote-unquote, moderate Republican and being able to represent the kind of diversity that's here in Colorado. And people are upset. If you look at the Denver Post, they had to rescind their endorsement of Cory Gardner. What does that say about you when you have a major newspaper saying, we apologize for endorsing you? Yeah. Well, I don't believe that there are any moderate Republicans left in the country. Um, I don't know if you know this. Do you know how often Cory Gardner uh, votes with Donald Trump? Well, more so in the last few years, it has been tremendously on point. Upwards of 80 to 90% is just along party lines, and people are frustrated with that. So there's nobody who votes with Donald Trump four out of five times that could reasonably be called a moderate. Exactly. And no such thing. So now, Stephanie, you were a former Just Democrat when you were running for Congress in Colorado last time around. So you're going to stick with the no corporate PAC pledge in this run? Absolutely. Absolutely. My position as a Justice Democrat hasn't changed. Their focus definitely is on House races as opposed to Senate races, which I respect and understand, but my platform and my commitment to campaign finance reform remains. And um, I know Mitch McConnell's not gonna be happy about this because he's <laughs> trying to keep the Senate pretty desperately. Uh, but uh, I'm not sure Chuck Schumer is gonna be all that thrilled either. They're probably gonna wanna take uh, pick someone who takes a lot of corporate PAC money because they believe that that's the, the way to win. Uh, I don't, of course, don't agree. Uh, but what's your take on that? Is I, I know you're just coming out with this now, obviously. Uh, but uh, any uh, feedback at all from the Democratic Party? I first of all don't think that the Democratic Party should determine the nominee for Colorado, the National Democratic Party. Coloradans should determine the nominee, and that is why we are committed to being grassroots, people-powered, and also the kind of Democrats that we need to see in Washington, D.C. So to those who believe that corporate PAC money is the only way to win elections, we have demonstrated in 2018 that that is not the case. Shout out to AOC, who continues to hold it down, as well as representatives like Ayanna Presley, Ilhan Omar, um, Johanna Hayes. We are seeing that it is possible to be of the people, for the people, and represent what we want our democratic republic to look like. Well, I was just about to say, I mean, you're a woman of color running without corporate PAC money. I hear that's impossible to win. <laughs> I disagree. Except for, <laughs> except for all of the uh, enormous victories, obviously, we got in 2018. Uh, so. Now, Stephanie, you were in a very tough district, uh, Colorado District 5, uh, when you ran. So let's talk a little bit about that race. Uh, what happened there and, and what lessons have you learned from it? 
we did phenomenally in our race. We did tremendously well when it comes to the number of votes that we were able to garner. In terms of raw numbers, we got 125,000 votes, and that has never been done for a Democrat before. We increased the way in which this district voted for a Democrat by 20%. Unfortunately, it was a tremendously high voter turnout year on both sides of the ticket. So Republicans came out in strong numbers as well as independents and Democrats. What we learned though is that we can create a message that does appeal to voters in all of those demographics. We learned that in our district there aren't even 100,000 registered Democrats. So we know that we were able to walk with and get independents as well as Republicans to support our campaign. That's the kind of messaging that will help us to win a general election in the state of Colorado. We know what works well with Democrats. We also know what works well with the diverse communities of the state, whether that is rural, urban, suburban, developing, um, working class. We have been able to really hone in on what are the issues that people are facing here in Colorado, and we're ready to lead. So I do want to correct you, though. I don't want any fake news on this program. You said you got 125,000 votes. That's not true. You got 126,848 <laughs> votes. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so you increased voter turnout in that district, in a way the Democrats had not done before. So, I get what appeals to Democrats and gets them to go out and vote, and that was the. Thesis of the Just Democrats in the first place that if you actually represent them, you don't represent the donors and you fight for real change, big change, people are more active and, and come out to vote. And in your case, they did uh, in, in numbers that that district has not seen before. Um, how about independence? Why do you think a progressive message appeals to independence more? I think, like most of us around the country, we are tired of people who have positions of power that will not lead with integrity, will not lead with conviction, and are just really representing small interest groups. I don't think anybody, whether you're an independent or a progressive, wants that to continue in Washington, D.C. And to the point that we have been able to pick up a number of reasonable Republicans who don't want that either. We want people who, of course, are qualified, people who are principled with their values and are committed to integrity and also who are innovative. The same solutions are not going to solve the problems that we have been facing for decades. And I think not taking big donor money is a giant stamp of authenticity that a lot of voters across the spectrum respect, even if they don't agree with every single part of your platform. Um, so, Stephanie, are you the uh, first Democrat to come out in this race? I am not the first Democrat. There are others, but I am, I believe, one of the first that the community themselves look to and ask to run. Okay. But you know, uh, there are now some people that uh, the Democratic establishment are backing that were, uh, that took the no corporate PAC pledge, including uh, for statewide races, including for. In Kentucky, uh, so you never know. Uh, you know, you you had an excellent run in 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 the fifth district. So 
I think that there is some chance that the establishment might back you, but they're really, really not gonna like you taking money. <laughs> so, it's okay. <laughs> right, but you know what, uh, the, I have this, the, the Uyghur rule, which is that whatever they think in Washington, it's the equal and opposite in the rest of the country. So the, the uh, population in Colorado will love that you're not taking corporate PAC money or big <laughs> yeah. donor money. Um, so I, I actually, so I wanna end on that note. And I remember talking to Cori Bush about two years ago. She was another just Democrat running in Missouri, running in a district race like you were. And, and I tried to talk her out of it because, not because I didn't want her to run, but because I wanted her to run for the Senate seat. Because I think that winning the Senate seats are sometimes easier than winning a particularly entrenched district. So do you think because of the dynamics and the demographics of the state, that winning the Senate seat will be easier than winning the congressional seat you were up for last time? Make no mistake about it. This will definitely be work. It's not gonna come just, you know, without doing putting forth the effort. But it is definitely strategically easier to win a statewide race. Again, given the history of Colorado politics as well as the trends that we saw in 2018, beginning in 2016. Yeah, and so uh, you guys at home can make that possible. Uh, go to stephanieroseforcongress.com uh, and then you can f- uh, see all the information there for how to volunteer and very importantly donate because uh, if you don't take big corporate PAC money, then you're gonna need uh, actual uh, citizens of America to help you. Uh, we'll have all those links down below if you're watching this later on YouTube or Facebook. Uh, it's important that you participate. And remember, Stephanie Rose uh, is Spalding, is a proven winner. She won the primary last time. So if the Democratic establishment counts her out in this primary, I think they got another thought coming to them. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on the Young Turks. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right, guys, we're out of time for, uh, for this segment. When we come back for the members, uh, Tucker Carlson challenges Chris Hayes. Chris Hayes gets ripped, drama ensues. We'll talk about it in the post game. TYT.com slash join to become a member and get that post game. Nothing but fun. We'll be right back.